Well, hey, everyone. It's great to see you today. Uh, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just a privilege uh, for us to gather. I want to say hi to you, particularly if you're a guest here uh, with us today, or if you're watching online, or I want to say hi as well and just welcome the guys in Mod 7 down at our Correctional Center campus. Um, so great to worship together. Uh, today we are in kind of it's a special day in our series. We're actually in the very final part, part six of our series that's called Everyday Heroes. And in this series, we've been really looking at a whole lot of people that um, are really inspirations when it comes to faith, straight out of Hebrews chapter 11. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. I'm super excited for this message because it's one of those that's really challenged me on the personal front this week. Um, I do want to, though, give you kind of a preview. As Nicole mentioned, next weekend is going to look a little bit differently. Next weekend, we're calling uh, really our time together Selah, when that, has, that word has a few different meanings. On the one hand, it means to stop. On the other hand, it means to reflect but it also means to acknowledge God. And we did this last year as well. We want to take kind of a timeout, kind of a hit the pause button moment halfway through the year. We have, we've had a busy year so far. We're going to have a very busy fall as a church again. Uh, but we want to take just, a, just at the midpoint, we want to say, Lord, we want to pause and very intentionally just reflect on you and your goodness and all the things that you've done thus far. And we want to wait on you for what is to come even. And so that will be uh, next weekend, next Sunday. That'll be a special time. Well, what I'd love to do right now is just to pray for us and just to ask God to speak to us this morning and thank Him for His presence that's with us and really ask His Spirit to lead us. So yeah, would you pray with me and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank You. Um, thank You for this morning, Lord. Thank You that You allow Your people to worship You together. It is an honor. And um, Lord, we want to say today, would You speak to us? Um, Father, we, we acknowledge we didn't come in here just to sit. We came in here to be changed by you. We invite you to change us. We invite you to mold us. We invite you to encourage us. Father, I pray that you would have a specific word for each one of us from the scriptures today. Um, and so, Lord, we want to say we are open to that, and we pray at the core of us, at the heart level, uh, God, would you do wonderful things in and through us today. So, Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray that your spirit now, not myself, but your spirit would speak to us. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, if you've been around through this series, you should know by now that Hebrews 11 is really referred to as the Faith Hall of Fame. In other words, that there are people listed in Hebrews 11 that we should look to and we should say, wow, God commended their faith. We actually see, if you keep going in Hebrews 11, you see that, that God was actually proud of their faith. The kind of people that we would say, oh, okay, I want to model what their faith looked like. There were certain things about their faith that were, are, are very appealing, or very, um, even can kind of spur our own faith on. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, we get the definition of what faith is. Look at this. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Again, if you keep going in Hebrews, verse 12 or verse 2 says that they were commended. Verse 16 pretty much says God's saying, Hey, I'm proud of these people. Emulate them. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been saying, Lord, we want to humbly come before you, and we know that these characters are not perfect, but there are things about their faith that can inspire us. Um, our prayer has been that as you've come these last several weeks, that there would have been one week, maybe two weeks, where you just go, oh, that was the week when we talked about so-and-so. That's exactly what I needed to hear. My faith maybe has grown a little bit stagnant, but God, you breathed fresh life into me that time. So that's our hope as we go through this. And the reason is this. Your faith in God is so incredibly important because it, it impacts, it, it, it educates everything you do. Uh, think about it. The decisions you make, the people that you hang around with, uh, the people that you invest in, the things that you say, the things that you do. Everything in your life is critically connected to your faith. 
And so again, that's why we're in this series and we're saying, Lord, would you inspire our faith? And so to this day, we've looked at five different people and I hope that you've been encouraged by them. The first week, just in, re- in review, we looked at Noah from Genesis chapter 6 and we saw that Noah was this, uh, a standout kind of guy. He was a guy that had a whole lot of courage. He lived in a very dark world in a very dark time, but he stood up with a lot of courage. He was the kind of guy that actually in the middle of a desert, he was willing to really to cut lumber and to pound nails day in and day out and day in and day out, all because he believed that what God had said would be true. And when that happened, his faith, it really shined brightly. He stood out. He was a risk taker. He stepped up. He had courage. And then we looked at Genesis chapter 12. We saw the life of Abraham. And Abraham was a guy that modeled risk. Abraham left everything that was comfortable. He left everything that was convenient And what did he do? He believed the promise of God. God said, hey, I'm going to bless all the the people of the earth. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And then we know this, even one day Jesus Christ will come right through your family line. And Abraham had the choice to make, okay, will I take a risk? Will I step out? Will I trust God? And it was one of those weekends that maybe God nudged you on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm with you. You just need to keep going. Trust the promises of God. And then we looked at Jacob, Genesis chapter 32. And what I loved about Jacob was this. He was not the guy that kind of flew straight. He was a deceiver, known as that. But what did God do with a man who was known as a deceiver? God gave him a new name. He gave him a new identity. He set him on a new path. And it was such an encouragement for us to be able to say, okay, God, what's the identity that you want want us to live in? We also found this out about Jacob. Jacob lived, lived with a limp, a physical limp. And it was this reminder to him, Jacob, you will, for the rest of your life, you will need to depend on me. And we talked about how many of us, many of you have a limp. You have something in your life that continually reminds you, God, I need you. I don't understand everything, but God, I need you. God, I need you. And oftentimes we look at those limps as bad things, but we know this, like Jacob, we can look at a limp and we can say, no, 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 that's actually a good thing. Because while it might not be pleasant, it drives me to a very, very good place. And then we looked at the life of Joseph, Genesis chapter 50. And we saw that in the life of Joseph, here's a guy that has so many twists and turns in his life. Not only what we read about in Genesis 50, but even if you dig into his past and what family line was he from and what did all that look like, this is a guy that had so many challenges come his way. But there's one common thread in his life, and it's also one that we see throughout the scriptures, that God was with him. And so we said this, that you might be going through a trial, you might have some ups and you might have some downs, but what would it be like, how would your perspective even be changed if you remembered always, God, you're with me through this? And what might seem like a setback might actually be kind of a God set up for this masterpiece that God has created and called your life. The story of Joseph, inspiring. And then we looked at Moses last week and Tim took us into Moses and and we asked this question and we saw this in the life of Moses that at the core of who we are, our hearts are designed. Our hearts are made to find their greatest satisfaction in God and in God alone. We looked at this phenomenal quote even. It said this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And it made us ask the question, what do we value? What satisfies you? What brings me so much joy? Is it God? Is it God alone? Today, what we're going to do is this. In this last message in the series, we're going to be looking at a woman by the name of Rahab. And what I love about Rahab's story is that in so many ways, she could have been viewed as, she was viewed as at the bottom. 
She was viewed as the kind of person the most probably least likely to experience God doing anything significant through her life. She had a scarlet letter attached to her. She had a label that could have literally derailed her for the rest of her life, surely from the things of God. But that's not the case, as we're going to see in the scriptures today, and I think your faith will be inspired, because we know this about her. While she could have been, in a sense, disqualified because of who she was and her identity, what we see is she's in Hebrews chapter 11 among a very few amount of people as a model for faith. Let me ask you this question. Her life leads us to questions like this, I believe. Have you ever wondered if your past will always haunt or overshadow your future? Have you ever wondered, have you ever been overwhelmed maybe by a circumstance? Have you ever been just plagued by maybe a struggle in your own life and you've just thought to yourself, okay, I've gone too far, I've wandered too far from God, and I wonder, I wonder if, I've, if I'm just, God's done with me. He's washed his hands of me, of my life, of my future, of being used by God in a significant way. The question that I want to ask this morning is this, will your past define your future? Will your past define your future? Will where you've been dictate where God would love to take you? Will your past define your future or will the grace of God define you? Even maybe in ways that are beyond what you can explain. You know, another thing that I love about what we're going to see in the life of Rahab is this. You and I are going to be personally challenged by how we see other people. We're going to get one of these reminders from the scriptures that we get quite often, actually, but it's so helpful, and I need this reminder often, and so I think that's going to help us as well. How do we view people? I think God's going to re-energize that this morning. So we're going to find Rahab's story, Joshua chapter 2. I found it, again, to be a huge encouragement and a challenge, but let me tell you a little bit about what's taking place among these people before we get to to Joshua chapter 2. I think the backstory is actually really important in understanding kind of what was happening. As we've seen so far, Genesis chapter 12, Abraham has been singled out, right? And God's saying to Abraham, hey, through your family, I'm going to bless all the peoples. You're going to be called the people of Israel. We know from there, though, that the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they're enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Then the Lord raises up a guy named Moses. Moses then delivers them, rescues them out of Egypt. But they've had quite a journey, quite a journey. By the time we get to Genesis, or Joshua chapter 2, just 40 years before Joshua chapter 2, this nation, the people of Israel, they've been delivered out of slavery, but they've been wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And right at this time, they're right at the edge of the Jordan River. They're looking over into the promised land. They can see the land of Canaan. It's right there in front of them. This is what God has been promising to generation and generation before them and before them and before them. And so they're seeing it, and they're about to enter into it. And right about that time, Moses dies. But before Moses dies, Moses says this to them. He says, hey, I want you to be an example for all of the peoples of the earth. I want you to obey my commands. When people look at you, I want them to be able to understand who God is because of who you are and how you act and how you represent me. And so he says, be obedient in these things. Then Moses dies, and then Joshua gets raised up. So that takes us to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is Moses' successor. And and the Lord says to Joshua in verse 6, he says, hey, be, be strong and be courageous because you're going to lead these people to inherit the land. This is the land of Canaan that's just across the Jordan. This land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Know this, everybody. This is a huge moment in the history of Israel. This is a huge moment for God's people. They have been waiting for this for a long time. Have you ever longed for something for just maybe a year or two years or ten years? Imagine longing for something for decade after decade. But before Joshua says, okay, I'm the new leader. 
I'm going to take you all across the river. He's, he knows this. To conquer Jericho, which was the first city right across, right over, the, right over the, the water's edge, right across the Jordan, he knew, hey, this is a big deal. And so he sends two spies to go check out the land. That's where we're going to pick up. Look at me at verse 1 of chapter uh, 2 of the book of Joshua. It says this. Then Joshua, he's ready to go in now. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. That, that's one of those words in the Bible that you just have to say fast or kind of mumble as a pastor, you know. It's a little middle school humor there. I think God smiles on that, right? Okay. So he says this to them at that place. He says, go and look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Now, remember, Jericho is a fortified city. It was a big deal to conquer Jericho, Okay. So especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Now, I think we can infer they weren't very good spies, right? They flunked spy 101 class. They've already been found out, right? Verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they came to spy out the whole land. Here we go. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men have come to me, but I do not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Verse 6, but she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under the, stalk, the, the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. And so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Okay, now let's just address something that's very obvious here in the text. Rahab, who we just kind of got introduced to here, Rahab the prostitute, she is not, in Hebrews chapter 11, she is not commended for her truth-telling ability early on in her faith walk with Jesus, with, with God, is she? Not, not at all. She just told a blatant lie here, actually several of them. But here's the reason why Rahab ends up in Hebrews chapter 11. You know why? It's because of her faith. Right away what we see is this. She has very little knowledge of who God is. These are probably the very first worshipers of God that she's ever been around. But right away we see this. Her faith springs into action. It's convicting. It's challenging, actually. James chapter 2 says this, verse 25. It says that her faith, Rahab's faith, was on display when she, considered, she was considered righteous when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. She was considered righteous, get this, because her faith led to action. And not only does she welcome these spies in, but she also embraces their cause. She trusts in this moment her entire future to their God. Now think about what she could have done. She could have gone, okay, the king has contacted me, asked about these spies. She could have said, yes, I know where, where they are. They're upstairs underneath the roof. Then blah, blah, blah. And she could have gone into that, received her reward, and maybe even gotten out of this lifestyle of prostitution that she's trapped in. She didn't do that. Instead, she knew that there was something. She had heard that there was something about the God that these men worshipped. And she knew, hey, I'm going to bet everything on this. If the king would have, though, discovered her deception, she would have been publicly, publicly slain as a traitor. Verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up onto the roof and she said to them, it's kind of like, before I go to sleep, I got something on my mind. I got to tell you guys. 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard, I know this, she hadn't seen. She's only heard. And she's not the only one that's heard about their God, but she's the only one that stepped up and said, what I'm hearing, I'm going to act on. I'm repenting. I'm turning to your God. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and, you, and, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Verse 11, when we heard of it, and again, she's heard the stories, but others have as well, but she's the one that responded. She, she doesn't know everything about God, but She's heard enough to know, hey, I'm moving forward. My hope is in your God. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And this is important. For the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and on earth below. Notice this. It wasn't these men's wisdom that impressed her. It wasn't anything that they told her about the size of their army that won her. It wasn't anything about Moses. Moses isn't mentioned here. It wasn't anything about Joshua, their new leader. It wasn't any of that. What's the thing that she's being moved by? It's all about God. She's saying this, your God, I know enough about him to make this statement. He's the Lord of heaven and he's the Lord of earth. Now this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's important. Know this, Rahab's story, and the students, I thought particularly of you on this, Rahab had genuine faith without having all of her questions answered. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's no way Rahab could have had all of her questions answered. She wasn't raised in a Christian home. You know, her mom and dad got out the little Jesus storybook Bible and they were telling her all about faith. And No, that's not Rahab's story. She grew up in a pluralistic culture. She would have known several different ideas about who God is and about God's presence. Yet, her faith is genuine and we know it's genuine because it produced action. She believes, and that produced something in her. She's risking it all based on these men's God. You get a glimpse even just into her faith walk, and you just go, wow, what courage, what faith. You and I don't get to know all the answers, but we do know enough to say, I believe. Her hope, her refuge becomes God. You know, try to get into the mind a little bit of Rahab. Try to walk in her world a little bit. Think about this. On, on several fronts, this woman was an outsider. And she would have felt like one. I mean, think about this. None of us would wear the title prostitute with pride. Oh, I'm so proud to be a prostitute. No. You would wear that title with shame. You would wear that title living, title living in the reality every single day that you are an object for someone's quick pleasure. You're treated like property. She would have known what it meant to feel unloved, to have been an object. In this culture, her circumstances could have put her into prostitution, maybe out of necessity. She just needed to pay the bills. Or if you kind of look at what's happening in this culture, there was also the cultic worship that was happening, and that involved prostitution. Either way, we know this about Rahab. She would have known what it felt like to be on the outside, to be an object, to be a piece of property. Think about this. There were other things as well in her life that would have made her feel like an outsider, even where she lived. We're going to see in the text here in just a minute. She lived between the city walls. So even the proximity of where she dwelled 
was outside. She was an outsider. She was a woman in a male to a high fault in a male-dominated culture. She was a woman, again, an outsider. She couldn't even, couldn't even bring anything to court. You have no voice in court as a woman in this culture. Not at all. Beyond that, think about her race. She's a Canaanite, which means that she was a Gentile, which means that she was viewed as unclean. Fast forward to the building of the temple. Gentiles weren't even allowed to be in the same place. So they were kind of, on, again, they're on the outside, inhibited even where they could worship. She knew what it meant to be an outsider. For some of you, you know what it means to be an outsider. You feel it. And some of you, particularly even when you come to a place like this, you feel it even more. Whether it's abuse maybe in your past, maybe it's things that weren't in so much choice as you made, but things that were inflicted on you, or maybe it was blatant decisions that you made. But either way, you can kind of fill in the box. You, you, you understand what it means to feel like an outsider. Maybe it's divorce, and you feel like, wow, we, man, I was divorced, and so that just, you feel like that just marks you, and you feel like an outsider because of that. Maybe it's a setback vocationally. Just something that you know that you've just you've struggled in. Or, or maybe it's this. You've got just a sin issue in your life that you've never been able to have victory over and you feel like an outsider because of it. You feel like you've got your own little scarlet letter. You feel like your past really does define who you are and it maybe defines your future. You understand maybe what it means to be an outsider. Rahab knew. She would have felt like this day in and day out. And day in and day out because her past was colored by this. Yet... And this says a whole lot more, church, about who God is than who Rahab was. Rahab became someone, and this is true for you and I, we can become defined by God's grace, and that's what was true of her. Will your past define your future this morning? That's my question. Will your past define your future, or will God's grace define your future? Look at verse 12. She says this to the spies. Now then, she says, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. This is important, she's saying. Because I have sworn kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. I want to be confident of this, that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men reassured her. So they respond, we're with you. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. And so she let them down by a rope through the window for the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. Then she said to them, go to the hills, guys. Go to the hills so that the, pursue, the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath that you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your family and your mother, your, sorry, your father and your mother and your brothers and all of your family into your house, if any of them go outside of the house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. But then he says this, as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if even a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Verse 21, agreed, she said, let it be as you say. So she sent them away, they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Verse 22, when they had left, they went into the hills and they stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. 
Then the two men started back, and they went down the hills. They forded the river. So now think about this, everybody. They've gone into Jericho. They've looked at it. They've been at Rahab's house. Now they're going back across the Jordan, back to Joshua. They came to Joshua, son of Nun, told them everything that happened to them, except for the fact that they got found out, maybe. Uh, verse 24. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands and all the people are melting in fear because of us. Now fast forward, get to Joshua now chapter 6. This is how the story kind of ends. The entire city of Jericho gets annihilated, destroyed. And then it says this, but Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute. Isn't that something? She still gets to wear the title everywhere she goes. She's still wearing the title, isn't she? Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. So get this, Rahab's faith has saved not only her life and her soul, but it saved her entire family. I can just picture them all worshiping the name of their God now, the one true God. Now I think there are a couple of things we need to reflect on. First, I think we have to ask this question, why Rahab? I mean, why is this Rahab in this story? Because those two spies didn't take back any insights to Joshua that they gleaned by their time in Jericho. It didn't lead to some military plan that we go, oh, that's something that they learned while they were there. Not the case at all. What we know is this. The Lord was writing Rahab's story. Those two spies weren't sent by God in his sovereignty to, to check out Jericho. That wasn't needed. We see that in how Jericho was defeated. But you know why this all happened? This was for Rahab. But ask the question, why Rahab? Why would God choose to give screen time, paper time to a woman like Rahab? And I'll be honest with you, this is one of the reasons why I'm proud to be a Christian. This is one of those reasons that I go, I am proud that this Bible is to the best that I can by my sinful self is leading my life. Because think about this. Why Rahab? Think about the patterns of Jesus Christ. Why was it that Jesus would attack religious leaders? And he would say things like this to them. He would say, hey, you clean the outside of the cup. In other words, you're like, you look nice and you got your Sunday best on all the time and, and you look great on the outside. But he'd say, but you ignore your heart. Your heart's an absolute train wreck. Why, why is it that, that well, think about the pattern again of Jesus. When we ask this question, why Rahab? Think about the, the lifestyle of Jesus. We see this over and over, weaved. It's a thread throughout the scriptures. Why was it that Jesus spent time with a crooked businessman named Zacchaeus? Why did Jesus invest in him? Oh, why was it that Jesus, when the disciples were, were telling the little kids that were running up to Jesus, and, and Jesus said, Jesus actually rebuked the disciples. The disciples were like, hey, he's too busy. He doesn't have time for these little kids, little varmints. Get him out of here. No, no, no. Jesus said, no, no, you bring the little kids to me because I want to bless them. Why is it that Jesus, at the top of his mind, were the widow and the orphan and the person with leprosy and the person behind bars, why were they at the top of the mind of Jesus? Because, here it is, all people matter to God. People with great abilities and people with disabilities, all people matter to God. The rich, the poor, the orphan, the sophisticated, the incarcerated, the prostitute, the child, Every single person matters to God. We see it in the fact that Jesus would choose Rahab. Let me ask you, her story just gets better, to be honest. Have you ever been guilty of name dropping? 
You know what I'm talking about? You're around somebody that you deem maybe is important for whatever reason, and then you get around another group of people, and, and all of a sudden you just find yourself saying you can't wait to say their name. Hey, I was with so-and-so, and we were kind of hanging out. We are kind of like, uh, you know, kind of best buds. You know? you know what I mean? You ever been guilty of that? Notice what happens here in Matthew chapter 1. This isn't just a name drop. This is so much more. But first, let me ask you this question. If you could pick anybody to be in your lineage, anybody to be in, in the branches, filling the branches of your family tree, Ancestry.com. If you, could, if you could pick anybody to be able to say, that's my great-great-great-grandfather, that's my great-great-great-grandmother, that's my uncle. If you could pick anyone, who would you pick? If you can't name a person, at least describe the kind of people. Would you want people of prominence? Would you want people, maybe really good leaders? Maybe people that they stood out for their integrity? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Here we go. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Think about that, everybody. Why is it that in the family line of Jesus Christ, in the family tree of the Savior of the world, the Creator, our God, the one we sing about in worship, why would Jesus choose to put a prostitute named Rahab? Because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I think God is making a huge statement here. Now know this, there's no one in Jesus' family tree that was going to impact him and his perfection and who he is as God. But Jesus is going to impact every single one of them, and that's what he's done to Rahab. And I believe that's the statement. You know, I think this is absolutely fascinating. Rahab is mentioned five times in the scriptures in five different places. Four of those places, when you see her name, you see her label. Rahab, the yeah, every time. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab, wherever we talk about you, we're also going to mention your identity. If you get brought up in conversation, who you are, what you do, that's also going to be right along with you. But when it came to Jesus talking about his family tree, which, by the way, if you and I got to pick who we could have in our family tree, I think we would pick people of prominence, people of accomplishment, but notice what happens when Matthew lists the lineage of Jesus Christ. For the first time, the label is gone. Isn't that beautiful? And I don't want to make more of this than what is in the text, but this is in the text, and it is very different from any other place in the text. And so I think we need to make much of what is there, and that is this. Jesus Christ, when he sees her, he sees her not defined by her past, but he sees her identified and defined by his grace. He saw someone that he loved. He saw her name. He saw the one that he watched grow up, maybe go down a road he didn't prefer. He saw the one that he now looks at and calls my daughter. He, called the, he saw the one that he says, I am for you. And oh, this is a shocker for some of you because you never think about God in this way. He saw the one that he liked. Do you believe that God likes you? 
Do you believe that God is proud of you? Do you believe that? It's funny, I think, sometimes how we can see ourselves. Recently, I was at the pool with our family, and this little girl, I was playing in the shallow end with the little ones, and this girl swam over to me, and she said, she said, there's something, um, she was really concerned, there's something weird about your arm. And I said, really? Like, what? Come here, show me. And so she swam over to me, and she said, well, from here to here, it's one color. <laughs> but from here, the rest of your body, it's no color. <laughs> and I, you know, I said, yeah, I need to come to the pool more with you. It would be fun. <laughs> and then I said this to her. I said, I said, but look at your skin. It's beautiful little African-American. I said, it's beautiful. It's dark. It's all the same colors. It isn't beautiful. And she goes, yeah, thank you. And then she swam over to me a minute later and she said, hey, she said, look at my foot. She showed me the bottom of her foot, which is about the color of my entire skin. And, and she said this, she said, it's the only part of me that I think is kind of ugly. Right. Everybody, think about how you see yourself. Think more importantly, though, about how God sees you. Think about this. When God saw Rahab, he didn't see Rahab the prostitute. And for some of you today, you need to ask this question, will your past define your future? Or will you link on to the promises of God, the grace of God, and will you say, you know what, that will not be my identity. I will not be defined by my past. I will be defined by the amazing story that God will write. And that has a whole lot more to do with who God is again than who we are. Look at Colossians chapter 1. We had this in our, our 365 reading last week. It says, for he, again, it's like this reminder, this is all about Jesus. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then skip down to verse 21. It says, once you, and that means once Rahab, and that means once you and I. We are in the same boat. At the heart level, you and I, every single one of us have been a Rahab. Every single one of us. For you, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil, evil behavior, but now, this is so cool, he has re reconciled you. And this is the greatest thing, everybody, the greatest thing that could possibly ever happen to you. He has reconciled you by Christ's body through death to present you holy in his sight. That's how he sees you. In, through faith in Jesus Christ, without blemish, free from accusation. That's our standing before God in Jesus Christ. No one know this. No one needs to be an outsider in the things of God. Absolutely no one. And no one is outside the reach of God. No one. All people matter to God. All people matter to God. We got to put aside things like race. We put aside things. That's why we do this. We put aside politics. It's why we put aside whatever else might shape your, how you view other people. We put those things aside and we remember when God sees people, all people matter to God. It's why we build things like the care center because we're saying this, you know what? Kids in the foster care system, they matter to God and so they're going to matter to us. People that are under-resourced, they're going to matter to us. That's why we say, okay, we want to look at other parts of the city. We want to duplicate what we can do. Lord, how can we be effective with you? How can we be compelled by the gospel in other areas of the city? Why? Because all people matter to God. 
That's why we're so excited every service at the top of the service to welcome the men in Mod 7. And we can't wait till there's Mod 8, 9, 10, all the way up. We can't wait. You know why? Because we want those men who are a part of our church, we want them to hear the same thing that you and I are hearing. And that's this. All people matter to God. And your past does not need to define your future. Absolutely not. God's grace can define your future. All people matter to God. I want to leave you with this. The Apostle Paul, he had a very decorated past, didn't he? He was a murderer of Christians. His past was so marred. But in Philippians chapter 3, he said this. He said, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm on a journey, but I'm not there yet. I'm in process. He says, but I, I press on, so I'm looking forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, my past is not my resting place. I have a past, and it's a pretty colorful one, but he's saying this, it's not my resting place. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Notice his resolve, and maybe that's it for you today. God wants you to just kick up your resolve and just kick it up and just say, be resolved. Be a person that your faith is one of resolve. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I refuse to let my past dictate my life, my future. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. You need to press on today. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Maybe for you today, the thing that God wants you to hear is this. Your past does not need to define your future, but God's grace can. Or maybe for you, it's kind of like me today. You just needed this reminder that, hey, I want to see people how God sees them because all people matter to God. And so my categories are not that important at all, and they should go away, right? And we should look at people and not say, oh, that person, I'm sure glad I'm not them. Their life's just too messy. I think I'll stay away. No, we should be the kind of people we should say, no matter who we see, we should say they matter to God. So God, would you break my heart for them? Might they matter to God? me. So let's pray. Um, Let's pray to that end. Father, in heaven, we thank you for the story of Rahab. We thank you for this incredible reminder this morning that no one is outside the reach of our God. We thank you, Lord, that you chose Rahab in the family tree, I believe, to make an incredible statement, not about Rahab, but about you and about your grace. Lord, I pray for the person, and maybe this is your story here this morning. You've been here You've heard, you understand the gospel, but you've never grabbed a hold of it. Might today be the day when you simply say this, Lord, would you forgive me of my past? The scriptures are so clear. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you confess with your mouth, you will be saved in God's sight. And so would you put your faith in him this morning? Just say, I believe. Like Rahab, she didn't have all the answers, but she believed. And then maybe for you this morning, it's just this reminder, okay, I need to put my categories away and I need to say, Lord, would you break my heart for the things that break your heart? Help me to see people as you see them. And Father, thank you that you took my heart that was so much like Rahab's and you've transformed it and you've drawn me to yourself. So Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this time in your scriptures. We pray in your name.